It gives me great pleasure to introduce this week's guest, Valerie Condosfield, aka Miss Val, as she's affectionately known by the scores of champion gymnasts she's coached. Valerie had no background in gymnastics, she never tumbled, flipped or played any type of organised sport, and yet she became a legendary Hall of Fame coach through curiosity, creativity, attention to detail and an unwavering care for the overall well-being of her athletes. The former head coach of the UCLA women's gymnastics team led them to seven NCAA championships and a host of other honours, and she was inducted to the UCLA Athletic Hall of Fame in 2010. Valerie talks about how the intention of a coach must be to inspire, how it's okay as a coach not to know everything, and the importance of leading by example as a coach. This was a real privilege for me, this episode, uh, loads to take from it, I hope you enjoy it. As always, you can subscribe to the Coaching Bubble podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud, and you can keep up to date with all things Coaching Bubble on social media at Bubble Coaching. Enjoy. Okay, guys, absolutely delighted to be joined by Valerie Condosfield here today. Um, so as you've heard from the intro, she has a hugely successful coaching career and uh, a TED speaker and loads of other things that we're going to get into during the episode. Um, but I think, uh, Valerie, first of all, maybe you could tell people about how you actually got into coaching because it's probably not the most conventional route. And uh, I think a lot of people will be able to relate to that. You know, the, it was not conventional at all. I was a ballerina. I was a ballet dancer. And um, when you just said that, I thought of something that I've never really spoken to. And that was my tenacity. I loved gymnastics. And I was taking horseback riding, piano lessons, ballet. And I asked my parents if I could take gymnastics. And they said, no, you're not going to put one more thing on your plate. And so when I was 16, I wanted a summer job. And I called a local gym because if I couldn't take gymnastics, I want to be around gymnasts. And I asked them if they needed a dance coach. They said no, but they found out that I played the piano. And this is back in the old age where floor music was one instrument and was usually a piano. So that's actually how I got started in gymnastics. And I loved it. And as I'm playing the piano, a lot of times like the compulsories were played live. I would just stop and just start coaching them. You know, your foot wasn't pointed, your head wasn't up. And I, let's start again, which was not my job and totally out of my lane, <laughs> but I did it. And then um, years later, I was dancing professionally and I heard that UCLA needed a dance coach for their gymnastic team. And this is where the tenacity comes in. I, without any hesitation, I picked up the phone. I found out who the head coach was. I gave him a call. I told him my credentials and I just said I would, love to be your dance coach choreographer and they offered me a full scholarship to go to school at UCLA instead of a salary and that's how I got started and I think about I was there at UCLA for 37 years I was the head coach for 29 years I've never ever ever done a cartwheel or gone upside down in my life I had no idea what I was doing but it was a sport that I loved and I would have never had this career, I would have never been talking to you today. I would have never had all those experiences I had, had I been too afraid to pick up the phone and make the ask. And that is a part of my book. It's, it's a chapter in my book, um, the art of making the ask, and then the art of making the nudge when you don't get the response that you would like in the first place. And then knowing when to drop it without, you know, so stop being annoying. Um, so it comes down to tenacity and courage. Okay. And so 
you were obviously then thrown in at the deep end with uh, the UCLA team in terms of straight in and a head. Uh, when you did go in, you went in as a head coach role. And I know that you changed your approach over over uh, a period of time. Um, would you maybe talk us through some of that? Yeah. Uh, so I was asked to be the head coach. I literally told the athletic director, I laughed at her face. I said, you remember, I don't know the first thing about gymnastics. And she said to me, I've noticed how you work with the student athletes. I love how you're firm, but you're compassionate. And I trust you'll figure the rest out. And that's all the guidance I got. Um, and so I did the only thing I knew how to do. And that was mimic other head coaches that had been successful. Um, at that time, it was the Caroli, Smarta and Bella Caroli, who were in our, in our country. And they'd been brought over from Romania and they had tremendous success. So <clears throat> their style of coaching was very dictatorial. It was... Um, there was no gray area, it was black and white. It was, they were the dictators and they trained their athletes to fall in line and follow suit and become good, loyal little soldiers. And I, I remember saying, you know what? I grew up on stage, I, I can act. I'll just act like a head coach. And I did, and it was horrible. And our team was horrible and I was horrible. And thankfully, a few years into my head coaching career, our team asked me for a team meeting. And I got very excited because I love team meetings. Um, but for two solid hours, they gave me example after example of how my coaching style was hurtful and demeaning. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm the head coach. I'm supposed to be the strong leader. I, I have every right to say it's my team, my way, the highway. You don't like it. You can leave. Or thankfully, I thought, what is my intention? Is my intention to hurt them? No. Is my intention to make them feel less than? No. My intention is to inspire them to want to be the best they can be. Well, my how I'm doing that is achieving that goal. So that was my aha moment. That was my time out. That's when I said, I need to start learning how to do things differently. And um, the big thing that I encourage all coaches, all leaders, parents, whomever is leading other people, especially children, is to take some time, quiet time and sit and figure out your why. Why are you coaching? Because a lot of times, if, we're be, if we coaches, if we're being honest, our ego gets involved very, very quickly. It's my team, my sport, my staff, my win. We don't like to take responsibility for the, my losses. Um, and I figured out my why. My why wasn't about winning because I didn't grow up in the, in the world of athletics. I have that win at all cost DNA in me. And so what was my why? Why was, I, why was I gonna keep coaching? And it was so clear that sport is a masterclass in life lessons that we do not learn in the classroom. Sport develops superheroes. And I was very, very fortunate to be at UCLA, which was world renowned. So I was able to recruit talent around the world from around the world and um, including the UK and, and Northern Ireland. 
And um, I realized that I'm going to use the gym to develop, to help these young women develop into champions in life that are going to go out by fortifying themselves as champions in all areas of their life, not just as athletes. They're going to go out in the world and make the world a better place. And because I was able to recruit talent, I knew that champion mentality would translate to the competition floor and we would win. And we did, thankfully. Um, and I think the, I think the biggest mistake that I made besides mimicking other people is thinking that I had to have all the answers. And I think that's one of the big, big, big mistakes that young coaches make is they feel that they're supposed to know everything and have all the answers. And when I speak with young developing coaches, in fact, I'm teaching a, a graduate school course at UCLA um, called Transformative Coaching and Leadership. And I just talked to them about that a great head coach models the behavior that you want the people under you, including your staff to model. And so as a head coach, it's important to model how to apologize when you're wrong, how to admit you've done something wrong, made the wrong mistake, but to understand that that wasn't my intention, how to model a sincere apology, how to model humility, how to model being gracious when you win, how not to get in the tank when you don't win, um, instead of dictating all of those things to your athletes, forget dictating. You need to model and motivate the behavior in them. But that's a brilliant answer. And like, there's so much, <laughs> I can jump into an awful lot here. Um, so what you were talking about though, as in, I suppose you're changing the focus on, uh, I know you're saying that you're getting the, you, you got the championships or you got the wins in the end, but you changed the focus and you sort of maybe redefine that success. And uh, I know you've done a, a TED talk and we'll be sharing the link with everyone uh, when we promote the show. But you talk about winning is not shouldn't be your definition of success and maybe how you define that success. So one, could you talk us through maybe examples of that? And then two, did you have resistance to that type of coaching, if that makes sense, as in? you were at a, an elite environment. So where, where people saying, well, what do you mean winning is not the pinnacle here? What do you know? That, do you know what I'm trying to get at? I'm just trying to trying to get a little bit deeper into that if possible. Yeah. When you shift the focus as a coach from winning to defining what success looks like, that is when that's a, a, a very small shift that has massive implications. And so <clears throat> We as coaches are hired to win. We're not hired to be their mentors or their psychologists or their best friends. I was hired to win. But when you focus on winning, that is when you will buy into the win at all cost mentality. And I go into this in my TED talk in every avenue of life with students and schools, we have more reports of depression, anxiety, stress, and suicide amongst our youth than ever before in our history. That's not on the kids, that's on us and the pressures that we're putting on them to win. We, and we as adults, I mean, look at politics and look at, I mean, 
I don't know how many politicians out there I trust that they're doing things ethically. It's a win at all cost culture globally that we have all bought into that has proven to develop damaged human beings. And I feel like it's time that we all take ownership of that and shift our mindset. And so the way I did that was I defined what success looked like to me because success is being the best that you can be growing 1% every day toward that goal, understanding how to control the things in your control and not focus on the things that are out of, that are out of your control and to set your goal, like with our team, every year we said, okay, do we have the talent to win a national championship? Yes, we do. Okay, that's our overall goal. So we just put that up there and that's out there. The important part of that is how are we going to go about doing it? The how is more important than setting that goal up there. And so the how became, okay, let's take every single one of you. There are 22 student athletes on the team Let's look at and identify what success will look like for you as a human, not just as an athlete, but as a student in a school, as a human with your relationships with everybody in your life. And as an athlete, what does success look like? And if you can motivate your team and your staff every day to hit that refresh button on what does success look like for me today? getting 1% better today. Imagine the compound effect of what of ha, what that has in, in a day. I mean, that's why our workouts, we trained at uh, 7.45 in the morning. People would come by our gym and go, whoa, the energy was pumping and up and girls were laughing and having fun and there was great work going on. And, and it, even through the mistakes and the falls, you know, they, it, they didn't go into Debbie Downer phase and they didn't go into, oh, poor me phase. And I'm look at me, I'm a victim, poor me. It was like such a healthy environment because every single morning I lined the team up and we talked about how are we gonna get 1% better as a team today? And what does that look like individually? And every single gymnast went around and said what 1% better would look like for them. And most of the time, what they said, it was their mental game, making sure that they did not feed negative thoughts. And the coaches did the same thing, how I was going to get 1% better as a coach today. And the, the beauty of that was it made the goal for the day very clear, but it also allowed us to hold each other accountable because we all heard what our 1% was going to look like. Um, and so you add all that up for us in, in college, it's a seven, seven month season, preseason and competition season. And then at the end of the day, you've worked so hard and you've gone through so many challenges, honestly, vulnerably, um, with humility, that when you get to the national championship, you can't only celebrate your success if you win. Because there's so many things, like I said earlier, that are out of your control. We may have an athlete show up that's sick that day with the flu, she can't compete. We may have an athlete that sprains their ankle in warmups. Oh, and guess what? We are judged by judges. It takes, it takes one of them giving us a half of a 10th off. I mean, we've lost many national championships by a half of a 10th. We've won national championships by less than half of a 10th. 
And those are things that are out of our control. And I never wanted myself, our staff, or our athletes to feel less than if at the end of the day, end of the season, they could say, look each other in the eye, look themselves in the mirror and say, I have no regrets. That was our definition of success. And if you can do that consistently, odds are in your favor, you will win if you have the talent. You can't win without talent. We all know that. But odds are in your favor. And I just think that that is, imagine, like I said, imagine your team, if you could hit that refresh button every single day and everybody was committed to being a slightly better version of themselves today. And then we do that tomorrow. And then we imagine that. And then let's just think globally. Imagine our world if we all did that. Yeah, no, it's incredible. And the way you describe it, you make it sound so, so simple and, and it's such common sense when you say it that way, like controlling the controllables and, and not letting the outside stuff uh, get in at you. But I suspect, well, I know it's definitely not that easy. So for anyone listening now who's saying, I can't imagine lining up my team or my group of athletes or, or whoever that may be, uh, I can't imagine lining them up and asking them that question what does success like to you? Like, what's the steps to get them to there? What's the small steps? What's something practical that they could take to get there? Well, the first thing that I think of is what I said earlier, model the behavior. So you show up, like I, I, it was my responsibility every day, regardless of what was happening in my personal life. I mean, this is, I went through cancer and chemotherapy and surgery and only missed three days of the seven months. Um, there were days I showed up not feeling so great, but before I stepped in that gym, what was my goal? My goal was to be inspiring. My goal was to be encouraging. And my goal was to help them get 1% better today. And if I could model that behavior, even though I was feeling horrible, I was doing my job. And so as a, as a coach, you need to model what, Okay, my mentor was John Wooden. He's behind me. That's his Pyramid of Success, Pyramid of Success over here, and his book, John Wooden on Leadership. And his Pyramid of Success has been used in thousands of business boardrooms around his business and enthusiasm. Those are what every, those are the two blocks that you need to be successful in life and to build on. Industriousness is working hard and enthusiasm is working hard with a good attitude. So work hard with a good attitude. And as a coach, if you can take a deep breath before you step into the field, the gym, wherever you are coaching and realize that your behavior is what your team and your staff will be modeling. So take that deep breath and then show up as the person that you want to emulate for your team. And for me, that was showing up excited every day and having a plan because having a plan is not easy for me. I am such a free spirit. I just want to, I want to feel the energy of the room and then decide what I want to do, but that's no way to lead a team. <laughs> so I had to have a plan and the plan had to be really concise and it had to be easy to share with the team so that they knew what the goal was for the day. And so even if it was, you know what, Bruins, um, 
UCLA Bruins. That was our mascot. You know what, Bruins? Um, I've noticed that there's there's this thing happening amongst our team where when one of you makes a mistake, you're really getting down in the dumps. And that's becoming contagious. We need to turn that around because it's not helping us get better. It's only helping and playing into the victim mentality, which when you look at the great athletes of the world in any sport, when they make a mistake, they don't formulate a judgment. They simply look at the mistake as technical. What did I do wrong? What do I need to do better next time? And they look at it from a, a pragmatic point of view versus a personal point of view. So let's work on that today. And let's hold each other accountable to that today. So let's come up with our catchword that when one of us gets down, a teammate or a coach can come up to you and say whatever that word is going to be, even if it's like carrots, whatever it is, we're going to know that that means that your energy is negative. It's not help the team. And we're going to flip it. We're going to be committed to that as a team today. And the coaches are as well. And um, sometimes I would even I would even set up some of my athletes to give them permission to get on me. Like, I want you to get on me so I can model for your team what it looks like to flip it, to be so humble and grateful for someone holding me accountable that I will flip it. Yeah, I, I really like that. I t and I think the, the small things there that you talk about as in having a plan, having a concise plan and having uh, that so that the athletes actually know what that success looks like. I think that's such a simple thing. And, and we talk about planning a, a lot as coaches, but you're breaking it down into such a small thing that we can control and allowing them see, well, look, this is success for today. And then we, as you say, refresh and then look at it for tomorrow. Um, I'm conscious that you would have dealt with a, uh, sometimes I suppose an individual type sport within a team setting if that makes sense and uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I think like the Olympics a lot of the athletes would come to you after being in the Olympics or, or certainly uh, aspiring to go to the Olympics so in terms of working with those individuals within that team setting and the variety and levels and uh, that you'd have there how did you deal with them as individuals within the team setting and, and especially at their different levels uh, as in sorry maybe I'm not explaining that very well but I'm just I'm, I'm, I'm really curious because for us a lot of the time or for me certainly I, I deal in a team setting and it's whatever's best for the team whereas you are as a collective whereas you are now trying to get people to perform to the best of their own ability but it's part of a training and part of a team setting yeah I, I understand what you're talking about and that's one reason why I love collegiate gymnastics because it's the only place where gymnasts really feel a sense of team and I've spoken with some of our Olympians that have come in and I've said but you must have felt team when you were competing for the USA and they said to a point but you still want to beat them you still want to beat your teammate um, and so I um, I was asked to speak on be about one of the greatest athletes that ever lived. His name is Rafer Johnson. He just passed away. He won a decathlon, a decathlon in uh, the 1960 Olympic games. And um, he helped start the special Olympics with Eunice Kennedy. 
And I was asked to speak about him. And I thought, what am I going to say that, you know, people can't read in his Wikipedia page about all of his accomplishments? And it was just like, I got it. And partly because I was very close to him. And I realized that, and this is how I, I held, I held our superstars on our team accountable to the bigger picture of a, of a team's setting. And that was that great athletes, they all do the same thing. They all work hard. They all make sacrifices outside of the gym. They all will do whatever it takes to be their best. A great athlete becomes a champion when champions do all the things great athletes do, but champions go the extra mile by helping those around them be better. And mentioning Rayford Johnson, he was at UCLA track and field. He trained with CK Yang, who was also the best in the world. He and Rayford switched off being best in the world for like four years in, in the decathlon. And they trained, they were training partners. And Rayford said, when he found something that helped him run faster, he shared it with CK. They had the same coach. And champions are great athletes who make people around them better. And then you take it to one more level. And that's superheroes. Superheroes are great athletes. Superheroes are champions who make people around them better. But superheroes lift people up by being the best that they can be. And you look at someone, like I said, a Rafer Johnson, who took everything that he had learned and then lifted up this whole community of special Olympians. Um, and you see that with the great, great athletes. You see that with every documentary. I mean, you see, we just saw The Last Dance and um, Michael Jordan. I mean, he was on his teammates hard at times, but that made them better. He didn't have to do that. He, he, he didn't have to, to go that extra mile to make them better. He wanted to win, but he figured out how to do that. And, you know, maybe his style wouldn't have worked with another type of sport, but he certainly knew it was going to work in basketball. And um, that's why I think sport is just so amazing. And it is, it's the one classroom where normal humans become, can become superheroes. And part of the superhero status is not being only focusing on yourself, but focusing on those around you. Yeah, and I know we were talking about before we, we, uh, before we pressed record, we were talking about uh, how I first came across you and, and, and your team. And uh, I was telling you, it was the, the Caitlin Ohashi video, the the one where she got the, I think it was the perfect 10 I, I I can't remember but I just remember being absolutely stunned one by the athleticism and the, the the routine but the thing that jumped off for me was all the stuff that was happening around the match and her the teammates they were so they were cheering her on but you could tell it wasn't just cheering on for cheering on sake they really were invested in, and willing her to do as best she could be and then as the camera pans around I could see yourself and maybe a couple of your other coaches who were doing the same thing and nearly dancing every move with her um, and I, that just really really struck me because you don't see that you hear about things like that in, in team uh, in terms of sport whatever sport it may be but you don't get to see it that often and 
I'm really curious. Is that something that you really, I know you're talking about uh, holding people accountable by making people better around you and stuff like that. But is this something that you put a really, really high value on that the team would be pushing each other, not just in terms of to get better, but to actually want each other to do as best as they can possibly be? Yes. A rising sea lifts all boats. I don't know who said that, but it was brilliant. And um, as soon as Caitlin went viral, and I mean, every media outlet wanted her on TV and our gym, there were cameras in our gym every single day, the entire rest of the season. And they were focused on Caitlin. And I told Kate, um, I said, okay, Caitlin, first of all, you would not have gotten here without your team without support of your team. So cheer them on, celebrate them in every interview you do. And she's like, of course, Miss Val. And then she had so many interviews and she was getting so exhausted. And we, like I said, we train at 7.45 in the morning, which means they need to be in the training room by six. And and I told her, I said, Caitlin, um, I think you need to take a day off or at least sleep in a little bit tomorrow and come in early. And she said, no. If my team is going to be here at 745, I'm going to be here at 745. And she says, I'll just not do some things, you know, at night so I can get a little bit more sleep. And I said, like, what? She says, I'll turn off my phone. I was like, okay, for a 21-year-old, that's a big deal to turn off their phone. I was like, the ultimate sacrifice, right? I will turn off my phone. I was like, perfect. Um, So... But it was the beauty of that was that her team continued to celebrate her celebrity because she's continued to celebrate her team. And uh, it was really lovely. And, and with the athletes that have gone viral now, Nia Dennis and Margzetta Frazier, we've got two more that have gone viral. It's like, even though I'm not coached, their head coach anymore, I, I recruited them. I've coached them longer than the current head coach has. So I still have a great relationship. And immediately I'm calling them going, okay, <laughs> tell them the same thing. <laughs> this is not about you. This is about your team. And the more you celebrate your team, the more you will be celebrated. So. Yeah, it's no, it's, 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 it's a great answer. And it, it's just such a powerful video. And to see people, it's actually just genuine joy, but that they're looking for, um, looking for people to, to succeed, you know? And I think it's, it, it, as I said, it doesn't happen an awful lot. Um, we touched on earlier on uh, in terms of the way you came into coaching um, and I can just imagine a lot of parents out there uh, or sorry I know a lot of parents out there who would feel very insecure as a coach especially when they're starting off particularly if they haven't uh, played that particular sport or activity or whatever it may be previously so for example for us we i mentioned earlier on we have gaelic football and hurling uh, uh, which would be very prevalent in ireland and some coaches parents who would come in and are really really willing to coach but feel that bit of insecurity around not having played whether it be hurling camogie football whatever it may be would you have advice for those so those coaches right at the start um, and i suppose it ties into to what you talked to what you mentioned and talked about the parents as well but just how they could, I suppose, push themselves on a little bit? One of the things that I felt was such a blessing to me as a coach that I didn't realize at the time was because I didn't know anything. I had to ask 100 questions a day. And I asked the athletes. So when they did a skill 
let's say I coached balance beams. So let's say they did a skill that they did well and they would come off and I would say, okay, come here, come here. Tell me what you were thinking. What was your cue before you went? What did you feel like in, before you started? What'd you feel like in the middle? And I was learning along the way, but the brilliance of this wasn't about me learning. It's because every other book I've ever read since then, 35 years ago, um, will just, the best way to teach is to have the student figure it out for themselves. It's not to give them the answers. It's to have them part of the process of figuring it out. And that was the brilliance of my stupidity, not knowing anything, was that it actually allowed them to figure it out. The second thing was I read early on in my coaching career. I mean, I just devoured every book I could get, um, was that so many coaches feel that they have to have all the answers, that they give a correction every single time the player's done with a skill. And so like in gymnastics, and it, and it comes from your ego as a coach, you know, the athlete does a skill and she doesn't do it right, or she does do it right, but it's your job to sit there and say, well, that was great, but you didn't, your head was not out of pirate, your legs did not get straight enough, do it again. And it's been proven that when coaches give a correction and then they don't, then they allow the athlete to take five, six, seven turns without giving them another correction, the athlete actually then figures it out for themselves. And that is the best way to learn. That is the best way to get athletes motivated to want to get better because there's the challenge of figuring it out. And when they do learn it, it is embedded in them on a deeper, deeper level than if you would have just dictated to them what to do differently to make the change. Yeah, I love that. That's such a, a simple thing. Uh, ask, asking questions to the, to the athletes or the players themselves. If you ask them, how, even what you said there, how did that feel when you did it right? Or how, what were you thinking beforehand? And you don't need to know then what the actual skill, the technical element of it, but you, you then know how to prime them to feel the same way or to, to encourage them to feel that way going into the next attempt, which is so simple. Uh, but asking a question that's not about the skill and really, really helpful way to, to, to help them come up with the answer. Um, you you know, also, sorry, go on. You know, I want to I give you an example, a great example of, of that. The last few years of my coaching career, um, we were, we had more celebrity and than any other team in the country. I mean, like I said, there were TV cameras in our gym all the time. And even though I hate as a head coach, having to be on my phone during practice, I had to be on my phone during practice. I had to take interviews. I had to do all these things. And during those years, our beam team, so there are six athletes that compete on each event. And then you take the top five scores of the six. Balance beam is your make or break event in gymnastics. And that's the one that if, that if you're going to get nervous, that's the event that you're going to get really nervous on. And our beam team was just like, they were so spot on confident they had this swagger about them that was invincible. And we were in a team meeting and one of our, cause we didn't have that swagger on the another event. And I was like, I don't understand. It's the same exact athletes from beam that are on this other event. Why don't we have the same swagger? And one of my athletes said 
Miss Val, I don't mean to insult you as a coach, but because you're not around Beam a lot, because you get a call or you have an interview or someone stops by and you've got to go see them, we coach each other and we hold each other accountable to be for the team goal, to be great, excellent, striving for excellence. So instead of the coach sitting there dictating, me dictating to them what to do, they're actually holding each other accountable. So when they march onto that competition floor, they're this band of sisters that have worked so hard together, they are invincible. And it was such a great realization for her to say that to me and for all of us to see it. Yeah, it's incredible. Like, And again, it's so simple. And if we talk about it in common sense terms, as in letting these, especially at that level, that they're so that their expertise is so high. And when we talk about it in common sense, of course, it, it, it makes perfect sense to let them help each other and coach each other. But how often do we actually hear that that has happened? You know, like that's it's an incredible example. Um, I want to touch on you talked about earlier on that your parents wouldn't let you do gymnastics because you were doing 101 other activities and uh, they wouldn't let you put anything else on your plate. Um, Oftentimes people in sport or or people hearing sport get caught up in the whole early specialization, etc. for various different sports. So what's your message to parents, coaches out there in terms of letting their athletes play or take part in as many activities as possible at a young age? Well, I think parents need to, to figure out their why as well. Why do you want your children to be in sport? And is it about you and your ego? Or is it about them and all that they can learn being in athletics? In the Netherlands, children do not keep score and don't play on these specialized teams until they're 13 years old. I think he said 12 or 13. So they learn to play the game for the love of the game. And that gets in their DNA. And they never lose that love of playing the game. It where in I know in our country, it's like at three years old, children are getting specialized learning so that they can be the math whiz and start AP classes by the time they're seven. It's ridiculous. Um, and we've lost the joy that comes from playing. And I'm going to name drop in a big way right now. I had a lovely conversation one-on-one with Kobe Bryant the year before he passed. And he had just seen, he has three, he had three daughters at the time, um, had four, but he, his girls were watching Caitlin Ohashi's flirting like over and over and over and over and over. And we started talking about this concept of joy and he just lit up and he said, Miss Val, I try to instill joy in everything I do and everything my children do. And he said, people misunderstand joy for happy. Joy is not happy. Happiness is something that's like, comes from external stuff. Joy comes from deep, deep inside of you of working so hard towards something with enthusiasm that nobody can take it away from you. And he said, my joy came from getting up every morning at 4.30 and putting in two extra workouts before the rest of the team came in, that made me invincible. That made me a superhero. And he said that brought a sense of joy that even 
if we lost the game, that sense of pride could not be taken away because I had just worked so hard. I mean, I think there's a quote out here, I've worked too hard to surrender. It's like, that was Kobe Bryant. And I think parents, 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 please do not compare your child to somebody else. Please take time to look at them as unique whole human beings that are brilliant in so many ways and that can learn to be brilliant in other ways. And please figure out how to motivate them to want to do the things to be better versus dictating to them what they have to do to be better. And if you can infuse that self-confidence in your child, they will develop into successful, empowered young humans that will, lead, that will live really, really good lives versus any time that you any time that you just start dictating to them what they have to do, they're feeling suppressed as children in athletics, the whole bit. And so I always kind of ask myself, am I just dictating or am I motivating change? So it's one or the other. Yeah, I love that. Uh, I, I just love that phrase, motivating change. I think that's even by just saying you're going out to try and motivate change, just changes the, the whole dynamic and, and, I think if parents and coaches were to take that on board, I think that would be really, really beneficial. Um, look, you've been brilliant with your time. I, I'm really conscious that we're, we're, we're going a little bit over. Um, we have three questions that we ask everyone that comes on the show uh, and we get some great answers. So uh, I'm going to start off with them. Uh, the top tips for developing coaches. So for coaches who may be just starting out or are early on their coaching journey. Show up with enthusiasm show up with a great work ethic and show up modeling the behavior that you want everybody around you to have. Be that person. Don't pretend that you have all the answers because nobody does. Okay, excellent answer. I, 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 the, that lead by example piece is just, is resonating with me throughout the conversation. And it's again, so simple and common sense stuff, but I, I think it can't be heard enough by, by uh, coaches. Um, your best book resource that you would recommend for coaches listening, and you can absolutely say your own book as well here. There's <laughs> absolutely no problem. Okay, I'll say my own. Um, oh, we're not, okay. Life is short, don't wait to dance. Um, a great book that I think all leaders, coaches need to read is Dare to Lead by Brene Brown. She's got so many great books out there, but that is the one that I'm using for my uh, class at UCLA. And then John Wooden on leadership. Yeah, uh, uh, John Wooden's book comes up quite a lot, as you can imagine, uh, when we talk to coaches from uh, from around Ireland, but even from from, from further afield. Um, can I just ask really quickly on that uh, that course that you're teaching, the the transformative uh, coaching through leadership one? Um, is that what's what's the end game for for those? the people on that module is it to look to is it a postgrad course type thing or is it to look for them to apply that in a real world setting both because like i said sport is a master class for life and um every student in the course has been an athlete or is an assistant coach and what's interesting is that we are at this time in our world history where we are shifting and we're we're finding the research that, sh that will show us 
that when you come from a place of leading through motivation, you actually will get a better result. And that is why Brené Brown's book is so important because she talks about the power of vulnerability. And when you think about it, even just in the last year and before, we talked about soft skills. Soft skills were all the communication skills, vulnerability, humility, um, listening, and all that are classified as soft skills, which is ridiculous. And then I heard someone say that they're power skills, but I like to refer to them as human skills. They make us better humans. And at the end of the course that I taught, um, I asked all the students, what is the one thing that you got from this course? And they all said that growing up in sport, I was taught that being vulnerable and humble were, were um, weaknesses. And I'm realizing now how strong, how strong, what strong characteristics they are. And that shift is where is the new era of athletics and coaching. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Like um, being involved in coach education over here and um, I think worldwide, I think we're always too focused on the technical. We're always too focused on the tactical and we don't put enough, enough weight behind and enough emphasis behind what you refer to as the soft skills or, or, or human skills and that's how to coach it's easy it's easy to come up with a plan for a training session or a, or a practice whereas but that that that's really how to coach and you know what i'm going to add another book every single coach has to read generation z a book on gen z because these the athletes that you're going to be coaching are different humans than we've ever ever encountered because they're, as we all know, they're the, the generation that has never not known social media. And um, I've, I've read a few books on Gen Z. And if I was still coaching, I would be shifting a lot of how I coach them. And it, it, the shift would come into coaching much more from these human skills that we're talking about and getting them to talk getting them and listening to them when they are talking because they're coming from a totally different place than how we were raised. Yeah, no, it's really good. Great recommendation. I'm going to put it on my list myself and we will, we'll put out links to to all those books that you mentioned there. Um, last question. Uh, and again, this will probably summarize an awful lot of what you talked about, but what does success mean to you as a coach? Success is helping every single person that has come through our program, the coaching staff, as well as the student athletes, um, understand that they are in control of, as I like to say, because I come from the dance world, choreographing their life. And as I mentioned earlier, um, unless you have a mental disability, you can control your thoughts. And when we take time to figure out how we want to respond to what life throws us instead of simply reacting to what life throws us, we are actually providing a better version of ourselves in that response. And um, as a coach, athletic, if, if you're not focusing on life skills through coaching, then all you're focusing on is winning and athletics. And if you're only focusing on that, that you are doing a disservice 
to athletics and to sport and how magnificent it is in developing superheroes. And I think that is a, we will do well to top that answer uh, all season. Um, Valerie, it's been fantastic having you on. Before I let you go, uh, I believe you have um, in, in these uh, lockdown times, you have a, a, a connection with Ireland now with a, with a gym across here. Is that right? I do. I do. Um, I Gosh, I don't remember the name of the gym. Jordan Dodd is the coach. If you're listening, Jordan, I'm giving you and Lalisha, the coaches. And um, they contacted me a little bit ago and asked me to do a Zoom with their athletes who were a little unmotivated. And I just fell in love with them. And so I said, let's meet again, you know, in two weeks. And let's meet again. So we've met three times now. We're going to meet again in a few weeks. And I gave them homework every time I asked them, you know, next time we show up, you're all going to go through and tell me how you got 1% better as a human today. I mean, this week. And um, I'm having a ball. So thank you all from Ireland. Oh, that's brilliant that's great to hear um listen uh, it's been fantastic having you on um we've been uh, we're, i'm a big fan and I'm, I'm, uh, we're delighted that you, you agreed to come on i think there's so much for people to take out of the episode um starting off with just the simple act of your intention as a coach to inspire uh, you talk about developing life uh, giving the, the athletes life lessons throughout and and that it's okay not to know and not to know everything and like I know I guarantee you people listening will that'll give great comfort and affirmation to to hear someone at your level to say that and and I think that's really really important and I think the biggest thing that I'm going to take out of today and and a lot of people will is just that lead by example it's that's you can't expect people to act as if uh if you're not prepared to do it do it uh yourself so thank you very much